This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is June 2nd. We're recording on a Wednesday. Market was relatively flat today. Uh, nothing really notable. Um, VIX was down by 2.35%. And the 10-year was more or less on, it was on change, 1.589%. And in the day, uh, S&P was up very, very slightly, 0.14%. Uh, one thing that was not flat was AMC Holdings at the end of the day at $62.55 per share. It shot up 35 or sorry, it shot up 30, uh, 95% today. So almost doubled really speculative trading again from the Wall Street bet boys. I know that you're on that train, Drew. <laughs> uh, we did see. Uh, Mudrick Capital, who was uh, a big investor of AMC, sold their sold their shares to get a quick profit after they saw it rise 23% yesterday. Uh, another overvalued stock that, that, that seems to be making a rally. Yeah, at the end of the day, when Roaring Kitty does something, you just say, how high? So... Uh... <laughs> But but yeah, uh, so that was the one thing that was obviously notable. That trend is still very much underway. Uh, what can we expect in June? Ultimately, you know, you've got national securities. Art Hogan predicting that we're going to have maybe a flat month, but it will be slightly volatile. And that's ranging from everything from stocks to Bitcoin. And we saw that in May, so it shouldn't be unexpected the turbulence really seems to be around periods when inflation data is supposed to be released. So that seems like that is is one of the main drivers of the choppiness is a lot of people have been speculating on inflation. Are we in an inflationary environment? So when that data drops, we do see the markets start to be choppy. Overall, though, uh, Hogan did note that the stock market has held up pretty well. Uh, Dow is up a little bit. S&P is virtually unchanged. And then the NASDAQ is, is down a little bit. But overall, you are seeing choppiness, but flat overall month over month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he thinks exiting the month, um, it might be in a better place in, in valuations. Uh, and he's also, you know, there's also a advocation on owning equal parts of cyclicals and growths uh, in the long term. Um, and even if these risky assets get rocked, maybe not dipping your feet in the water immediately. Um, ultimately, a big news story that happened the other week uh, when we were taking our hiatus was Amazon. And Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Rossine announced that he was suing Amazon on antitrust grounds. And he alleged that the company's practices have unraged unfair prices for consumers, but ultimately uh, falling at the third-party vendors. Uh, Amazon has literally millions of third-party vendors, and they make up over half the market share. In response to this news, we didn't see Amazon's shares really move. They were down 1% on the announcement on, on Tuesday afternoon, so not a big jump. Really, the the lawsuit filed by the the to the D.C. Superior Court was focused around uh, this pricing provision or a, a fair pricing policy. And really what this policy does, is it enables 
Amazon to impose sanctions on a seller on their platform that offers the product at a lower price on a competing online marketplace, therefore only allowing uh, people to sell to, to bless you to to, to sell uh, on their marketplace. So therefore, so they they pretty much have to have the lowest price guaranteed, um, and so that seems to have been a big cause of that. One other note is usually when you have these lawsuits filed by one attorney general, you usually have a group of states, especially on an antitrust lawsuit. He seems to think that he can uh, take on Amazon by himself. So uh, that's going to be a bit of a David and, David and Goliath story. Yeah, he's been mum on it so far. He's not ruling out the fact that other AGs around the country might join him. But right now it's just um, you know, Carl Rosine, uh who's the Washington D.C. Attorney General. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely see. I mean, Amazon, you know, made a statement themselves saying the D.C. Attorney General has it exactly backwards, and sellers set their own prices for products they offer in store. So, I mean, the litigation is going to be very interesting from an antitrust standpoint, and also just a general breakup uh, of big tech company standpoint, which has always been a lingering policy issue. Well, that's where we're moving. It's how many times over the last year have we seen the, the big tech executives in front of Congress? Um, Mark Zuckerberg feels like he should just have a hotel in, in D.C. <laughs> or, or buy an apartment. The fact that he's there so much. Uh, it, it, there is especially with, with the shift uh, to more Democrat. I, th- I think we're going to see some more policies coming out of that. Yeah, but the Senate hasn't gotten any better at asking questions, though. <laughs> Much as they like to have them in for a meet and greet. Um, really just trying to figure out how to reset their Facebook password. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so m- moving on, let's talk about a topic that that has been uh, really in the headlines is, is home prices in the United States. We saw in April that the sales of existing homes dropped by 2.7 percent, uh, down a little bit. Uh, this is interesting because they were up 34 percent compared to April of 2020. Hard comparison because we were just in the start of the shutdown uh, for the pandemic. But also, if we compare it to April 2019, uh, sales are, were still up 11%. And a big jump of this is is really in the sales prices from 750k to a million dollars. Those rose 144 or 146%. And then sales also jumped for, for those over a million. Uh, Drew, is the housing market starting to cool off a little bit or uh, are we going to continue to see the undersupply and high demand continue to grow that U.S. housing market? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, high demand and rock bottom supply have pushed prices higher. You know, like you said, um, we should note that the median price of an existing home in April was $341,600, uh, which is, you know, that's up over 19% from April of uh, 2020. Uh, but you, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about how steel and lumber, you have a lot of inflationary prices um, that have, you know, getting to the point of certainly pushing people out in the market. Uh, and then competition has also been crazy, right? Homes are selling in 17 days, which is the fastest realtors have ever recorded. Um so, so yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if things cool off a little bit. But I think the big rise has pushed people out of their price range for a home that they were looking for. 
So I, I do think we're going to see demand start to come down because uh, that seems like the big driver is, is people are looking for new homes. The move out of the metropolitan cities, uh, looking for more space has been a big shift over the last 18 months. And the big thing, too, is yeah, we mentioned builders have not been increasing production because of the expense of raw materials. But another thing to consider is there's been people who have been reluctant to list their homes if they're very COVID conscious and with more vaccines and, you know, the opening up of markets, uh, you know, there could be potentially more sellers listing their homes and, and having people come in, right, which would, you know, which would help help out quite a bit. And if we talk about uh, investment and opening up, we should mention Peloton has invested $400 million in their first U.S. manufacturing facility in Ohio. This seems like a pretty big headline for them uh, as a lot of their equipment has been manufactured overseas, it, especially uh, after earlier this month, or I guess last month in May, they had to recall their treadmill over safety concerns. Uh, so it seems like this may be another headline to, to get them moving in the right direction. But overall, good to see Peloton investing at home. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be an Ohio facility. They hope to break ground on the project uh, this summer, and it's estimated that it could bring in 2,000 jobs in the area and be up and running by 2023. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about hopefully one nice thing that will come out of the uh, the COVID-19 epidemic is a renaissance in U.S. manufacturing. And it's nice to bring up stories like this that kind of, you know, play to that play to that hypothesis. And we did see Peloton acquire another manufacturer, Precor, uh, and they have a manufacturing facilities in North Carolina and Washington. They expect to make their bikes and treadmills there by the end of the year. So so it, it seems like they're trying to help with their supply chain issues that they may have had during COVID and, and bring things home. And their balance sheet looks pretty good based on the, <laughs> their sales yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. Opening in international markets, too. They're going to make some moves to Australia and, yeah, overall – it's good news coming out of that front. Another shortage we've talked about in the past is uh, microchips and semiconductors. Uh, we have some very interesting legislation coming out of the Hill. It's the United States Innovation and uh, Competition Act of 2021. Uh, it's 1,400 pages uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the name. Uh, um, yeah, and cost about $200 billion. Uh, I guess... Allegedly, it comes from a lot of bipartisan areas. It's really looking at it's going to appropriate big headlines is it's going to appropriate fifty two billion for U.S. chip making efforts and then eighty one billion in overhauling the National Science Foundation. I think one bipartisan piece of consensus is that the United States has really allowed itself to fall behind China, and this isn't COVID highlighted it, but this is something that has been thirty years in the making and. We're just really need to make some significant R&D investments, which we've been shied away from for a long, long time. And as a result, we're, we've got a lot of uh, technological competition out there. I think just having to print the 1,400 pages for, for all of Congress is, needs to be a line item on, on, on that. Uh, really, when you think about semiconductors, you, you hear the name semiconductor, but really, what does it mean? And... I think more importantly, what is the technology that it's used in? And it's used everywhere. 
Uh, so that's why it's such a national security item. It's used especially in the cutting edge technologies and where innovation is moving. So the electronic vehicles for global climate change, uh, cutting edge weaponry that is needed to be used with those microchips, everyone's iPhones and, and smartphones. Uh, and really one of the main reasons why and we talked about it last week on the podcast is China supplies 80% of the rare earth metals that are imported just to the United States. So we're heavily dependent on them, even though we are one of the largest manufacturers of these semiconductors. If they turned off those rare earth metals, that would pretty much turn off our production of the semiconductors. Um, so therefore, we're looking at other ways to not be so reliant on the rare earth metals from China. It is good to see at least one bill coming out of Washington that has some bipartisan support. Uh, overall, I think the U.S. really needs to continue to spending, especially on the R&D and then building out the manufacturing for these. And it's not just going to happen overnight. These plants are extremely expensive and, and take a long time to build out. Yeah. And on a just a geographical standpoint, I mean, it's U.S. and China and semiconductors, but then also Taiwan. Um Taiwan's had a difficult time keeping up with demand. I guess they had a COVID, uh, a COVID instance at one of their uh, factories. Uh, I mean, overall, Taiwan's done an exceptional job of keeping COVID at bay, and they think production's going to continue as normal. But that's just just another thing to show that how fragile supply chains are in manufacturing when it comes to. You know, technology that's, like you say, for military, for artificial intelligence, for cell phones, for pretty much everything that makes the world go around. So, And because of that, it seems like there's a lot of people who are bullish on semiconductors. So a lot of the semiconductor ETFs rose with the news of this bill. But they are really at risk of being squeezed based on the supply chain disruptions. Um, so they are still, I would say, a pretty volatile investment, but they, they do look like they would be a nice growth play right now. Yeah, Oppenheimer certainly had a bullish take. Um, and, you know, it's basically said it's a kind of a buy the dip story. Um, you know, hopefully with, with COVID kind of waning in a lot of these countries that make semiconductors, uh, production issues are also going to be... Uh, streamlined because of that as well and even though we are talking a big game with china it does seem like we uh have continued to, to be one of our biggest trading partners um us in, in australia it seems like we have had different talks with them in april exports to the united states from china rose 31 percent from a year ago these comparisons are hard because it is based on when we were in a pandemic and china was as well um, and then imports also rose from the United States. So both imports and exports with China have increased. That is similar to Australia, who has had their own uh, trade restrictions and disputes, uh, mostly on farm goods. But overall, it does seem like the world economy and trade is starting to tick back up uh, coming into these summer months. Yeah, and it really also goes to show that as contentious as relationships are between the U.S. and China and between Australia and China, uh, this is the reason why they have the soft power that they do. Uh, I, I recently saw John Cena apologize for something he said. I'm not quite sure what. I didn't get in the article, but he apologized in Mandarin. Um, so that's 
also impressive. He must be, you know, listening to Rosetta Stone when he's pumping the iron. <laughs> the fact that that man could do that. But I mean, you saw that. You saw it with the NBA. You saw it with, uh, you know, that Korean um, pop band the other it was you know, months ago. But uh, you know, they thank Korean soldiers and American soldiers for their sacrifice in the Korean War, and then the Chinese were angry. They didn't thank them. But it's very unusual to thank the country you were fighting against. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, I mean, the, 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 I think the trade balance really goes to show just how much soft power the Chinese really have um, because of that. And and it's just uh, you know, before, you know, you think that trade balances is just it's just part of a free flow of markets. But it, I think it really helps understand a lot of the behavior we're seeing going 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 on in the world. And that's why we are trying to incentivize manufacturing at home. Mm-hmm. And that's why other Taiwan and um, other Southeast Asian countries that are looking to build out their manufacturing. So you could still have a plan in China, but you're not so reliant where you have 80% of your goods coming from China. And, and we saw that that's, you should not only diversify your portfolio, but also your, your manufacturing and supply chains. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of good segue into our final uh, point, which is that U.S. and the European Union have temporarily suspended tariffs in their steel dispute. Um, they're committed to talks to address global steel and aluminum excess capacity. And a lot of this stuff we've seen in terms of building, uh, you know, we mentioned raw materials and hopefully, you know, a suspense in tariffs helps out um, quite a bit. You know, uh, the, 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 the EU reached out to the incoming Biden administration even before he took over in December 2020. So it's been a decision that's been in talks uh, for a while, even before he assumed office. But um, but yeah, it'll be good to see this. You have them talking that the EU is not a national security threat to the United States um, and that this was was really out of proportion. We did see, um, you know, steel steel prices that we mentioned have been at all time highs. If, if this is a way that we can get those down, I think that's going to benefit everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and as a result, they've dropped fifty uh, percent tariffs they put on American whiskeys. Uh, so as thank much, God. Yeah. <laughs> as much as they say that they're you know too good for them, and then they're Scotch purists, uh, <laughs> clearly that might not be the case. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's I think what we got today, Grant. Should we anything um, we missed? Maybe not missed, but looking forward to really the ransomware attacks on U.S. companies. So we we talked about Colonial Pipeline. Seems like that has was from a Russia group. One over the last couple of weeks has been the meat processing plants in the United States. Um, so JBS, one of the largest in the United States. Uh, was hacked. Again, it looks like Russian hackers are uh, suspected in this attack. I am curious to see what happens with the Joe Biden administration if Russia continues to hack us. Sanction on oligarchs and and Putin is one thing, but um, if they continue to hack us, I I, I wonder what our next course of action is because we did see that uh, gas prices did rise slightly correlated because of the pipeline shutdown and now meat prices are also at risk Mm -hmm. and we love our beef we do uh yeah one thing i'll mention is that luxury cars have really 
taken off. Lamborghini, Ferrari, Rolls Royce. Uh, you know, if the hedgies can't travel, you know, that's where a lot of the money went to, even though uh, supply and, and, you know, for, for automobiles was obviously in a tough spot. Uh, you've definitely seen some strong, strong sales um, coming out of, you know, a wealthy market, you know, looking, looking back into luxury cars. And um, for, for that, I think we've wrapped everything up. Uh, thanks for the likes and subscribes. Uh, most of this month, uh, for I guess the remainder of the month, we will be taking off. We'll be back in July, uh, launching a new season, and we look forward to talking to you all then. Uh, thanks, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.